Good morning, friends. How is everybody? See a little bit of purple out there. Thank you for indulging me, because today we are talking about the woman of purple in the Bible. We're talking about Lydia today. Uh, it's hard to believe, but we're wrapping up our series on storyline, talking about living out God's call. I pray that the last six weeks has been a time for you to reflect on how God is calling you to live into his kingdom and in the great work as he, he's doing. And so I want to invite us this morning to read the scripture together, but I want to review just a few words because there's some places in here that I didn't know how to pronounce. So I was like, well, they may not know how to pronounce them either. So I'm not going to leave you hanging. So real quickly, I just want to review. This first word here is troos, if you'll say that with me. Troos. This next one here is samothraki. Samothraki. And then we have Neopolis. Neopolis. And then on the next page, we have one more. And it's kind of a fun one to say. Let me get my Thera-Tara. Thera-Tara. It's kind of Halloween-ish, huh? Kind of gives you a hocus-pocus feel, but not really. All right, so let's read the scripture together here today from Luke uh, chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothraki, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thera and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Oh, the word of the Lord. I'm excited to dig into this today. So as Paul and his company were traveling through, they were working to do exactly what God had sent them to do. Go and share the good news, build up churches, convert people, baptize them in the name of Jesus, and allow them to go and grow the church. So you see here... The tour that they kind of took here from Troas up to Philippi, and you'll notice that it was all on water. And so the Holy Spirit had led them to this place of Philippi. And if you read in the earlier verses, you'll read that how this kind of took place and over the time span had to be God-filled and God-anointed because they made it in like record time. The weather was perfect, the wind was in their sails, and they were ready to go. So uh, Philippi at the time was a Roman colony, which was a really good thing. And there's a few reasons reasons why that was a good thing, especially for, Rome, for Paul and company to be able to disciple and build people up. So the first reason it was a good thing is because Paul was a Roman citizen. And this was a good thing because he had a passport, so he could get from place to place and nobody really questioned why they were there, um, what they were doing there. The second reason is because they had great roads. They had such good roads that there are still some of those roads that exist and are used. I think we could use some of those principles here, just saying. And then the last reason is because at this time, which was a rare thing, it was a time of peace, a time of peace called the Pax Romana. Maybe at some point in history you learned about the Pax Romana, and so that seems a little familiar to you. So Paul's vision and the Holy Spirit led them to this place of Philippi, 
at this time. And when Paul would arrive in the different cities, the first thing he would do is try to find a place of worship, a place to pray. But in Philippi, he found that there wasn't a synagogue. There wasn't a place to worship. And a reason for this is probably because while the Roman Empire recognized Judaism as a religion, they were still a little bit uneasy about people worshiping in what could appear to be a cult. So it's very possible that that's why there wasn't an organized synagogue in the city that they were in. But Paul did hear about this place outside the city where people were gathered to pray. Now, I'm sure he was a little bit surprised when he got there and found a group of women who were there to pray. Now, I can tell you that a group of Gentile women praying together as a form of a synagogue would have been a huge red flag to the Roman Empire. So this is why we learned and read about the fact that they were on the outskirts of town. They did not want to draw attention to themselves, and they, did, they needed to be discreet. So Paul got there, and here was this group of women. Now, the cool thing about that is that did not hold Paul back, and it definitely didn't hold God back from doing exactly what God's plan was. As a matter of fact, women in the early church was a huge deal. They have, were very influential in all that they did. Paul used women all the time to call them up, to convert them, and to lead them into leading their own churches, being stern backbones of these churches. And in the Roman Empire, it was also a good thing because the Roman and Greek societies were a bit more modern, which meant women had more privileges than they had had in the past. They could initiate divorce if they wanted to. They could sign legal documents. And they could even hold honorary public title, which was a really big deal. So basically, here's what God did during Paul's time in discipling and calling up people to follow Christ. He led them. He led them to the people who would be willing, the people that God could use to build up his church, to help it grow, and to stay faithful to that church and to sharing the gospel. It didn't matter what gender or nationality they were. Paul exhibited no bias and no judgment. As a matter of fact, if we read on in chapter 17 and 18, we'll find that there were other women, not just Lydia, who were called into building up these churches. There were the women in Thessalonica, which helped found and build up the churches that we read the letters to the Thessalonians. And then, of course, the women in Berea, Damaris in Athens, and Priscilla in Corinth. So I suggest to you today to go ahead and read all three chapters in Acts, 16, 17, and 18, that sort of encompass this important church-building time in Paul's early uh, time of going into these cities and building up these people in these churches. But today, we're going to talk about our leading lady, the lady in purple, not the lady in red. Anybody know that song? No? Don't get my... Okay, whatever. Yeah, I know some of you are singing it, though. So Lydia was from the town of Thyatira, which actually she was named after the specific town she was from. And that more than likely, that town wasn't around anymore. But the whole kind of area of Thyatira was an area that were experts in making this purple cloth. And so Lydia came into Philippi, and she was a purple cloth dealer. Now this, we can insinuate a lot of things from her doing just this profession. Number one, we know she was influential. In order to sell this purple cloth, she had to have a lot of contacts because purple cloth was expensive. It was associated with people of wealth and royalty. 
So we know she was influential. We know she had great interpersonal skills in order to make these big sales and to deal with these kind of business contacts that she had to deal with. And she had great communication skills. We also know she was successful. And the reason we know she was successful is because she, after Paul had shared with her the gospel and she was baptized and converted, she invites them back to her house. So first of all, she had a house. Second of all, she had a house big enough to welcome guests. And more than likely, she probably had servants or people to help cook and care for these people that she had invited into her home. Now, Lydia was a Gentile who had learned about God, who had um, really grown in the faith of God, but she hadn't yet converted into Judaism. She was a lot like Cornelius that we talked about last week. But when Paul and company showed up and arrived and started talking with these women, Lydia was the one that stood out. And she stood out because God had prepared her heart. She was primed and ready. God had been doing this work for this very moment. And when Paul started talking about the gospel, sharing this wonderful news of Jesus Christ, she immediately accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She responded in a big way to the truth of who Jesus is. See, God prepared her heart, revealed the truth to her in his perfect timing, and she responded, accepted, and opened herself to that love to share with others. You see, when we respond to God's love and we accept the goodness that he is, we can't help but share that love with others. It just spills over. It is our initial reaction that we don't want to share that goodness to ourselves. We want everyone to experience the same thing that we have. And I am honored this morning to invite up, um, you know, throughout this series, we've had the great opportunity to have people from our congregation come up and share about how they have lived into God's call for their lives, how they're serving God. And I'm excited this morning to call up Celia Taylor, who's going to share with us about her time at the Bread of Life Ministry, which is such a vital, vital ministry in our community. Thanks, Celia. Good morning. So having done this already once at the 830 service and um, battled my nerves through that. And um, for many of you know that, you know, we have a son who is a minister and I've always known and now it's going to be completely obvious to you that his comfort level in speaking in front of groups has nothing to do with genetics. It is all from God. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Ashley said, I'm here to talk about my involvement with the Bread of Life Food Pantry. Um, so first, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about the pantry and how it works, and then I'll let you um, tell you about how I got uh, to be involved in volunteering there. The Bread of Life Food Pantry is a community outreach ministry of Grace and Glory Lutheran Church that began about nine years ago. The most basic goal of the pantry is to provide food for those who are hungry. It's as simple as that. This ministry strives to achieve this goal, though, by providing its recipients with the highest level of respect and dignity possible and without judgment. Members arrive at the pantry each week and they get to shop for their food, much like going to the grocery store. They get to make choices that are best for them and their families. They get to choose from fresh vegetables and fruit, meat and prepared meals, canned goods and staples, bread, desserts, and personal care items. The pantry receives donations from local grocery stores, restaurants, farmers, 
individuals, local scouting groups, and Dare to Care. And the pantry basically helps to match up those sources of don donation with the people who need help. A secondary goal is building relationships. Volunteers interact um, with the members of the pantry each week as they come through for food. We listen to them, we hear their stories, we try to establish trust and help them with any additional needs they might have. So my involvement with the pantry began in 2014. That's when I started volunteering there. But the story starts a little bit before that. It was a season of great transition for me. Jerry and I had recently become empty nesters and made a downsizing home move. Shortly after moving, I received an out of the blue diagnosis of advanced cancer. I spent most of the next two years undergoing surgeries and chemotherapy treatments, going from appointment to appointment and doctor to doctor. As I was nearing the end of treatment, our son got married and that added yet another layer of transition. I was now a new mother-in-law. As I took stock of my life at that time, all I felt was uncertainty and anxiousness. It was then that I felt a nudge to seek some guidance going into this new season of life. So I sought out a godly, wise, generous, and kind woman who was a member of this congregation and who was a few years older than me and who had seemed to make this transition in her own life with wisdom and grace. She had led a Bible study that I had attended and we had become friends. I knew that she could give me some good advice, so I approached her about mentoring me, and she agreed. We met for coffee, and she listened as I told her what I was experiencing and what I was going through, and she told me her story as well. She uh, recommended a few books for me to read, and then she started talking to me about a food pantry that she had begun volunteering with. And so she, she suggested that the following week that I go with her and help at the food pantry, and then we would go out to lunch afterward and talk some more. So I agreed to go, but as pantry day approached, I was apprehensive because I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't done anything like that before and it was out of my comfort zone, much like being up here this morning. Um, and I'll be honest, I was much more looking forward to going out to lunch with her than I was about the volunteering. <laughs> but I went and when we arrived at the pantry that day, I was assigned the task of offering some beautiful, fresh-picked, homegrown vegetables that had been picked and delivered by a local farmer just that morning. And as the folks began to come through and receive the food, I quickly realized that you know these, these were folks just like me. They were from all walks of life. They each had a story to tell. Some needed help for just a brief time until their situation stabilized, and others needed more long-term assistance. After that first visit to volunteer with my friend, I've been going back to the pantry each week ever since. The pantry members and other volunteers have become like family, and we check in on each other and catch up every week. Over the years, I've seen so many instances of God's blessing and provision on this pantry. Early on, there were times when we would come dangerously close to running out of food. On more than one of those occasions, during the pantry time while the, the folks were coming through for food, someone would show up at the back door of the church with an unexpected donation, which we could immediately give out. It happened so often that we started calling them loaves and fishes moments because we realized God's perfect timing and God's perfect provision. Another time, the pantry received a donation of several dozen little juice box type cartons of what was called fortified infant milk. It was a special type of milk. It wasn't baby formula. Um, it was meant for toddlers who could drink from a straw but still needed that extra um, fortification. And the expiration date on the milk was getting close, so we knew it needed to be used soon, but we couldn't think of who of our regular pantry members um, had children in just the right age group to be able to use it. 
the pastor told us, he said, just put it on the table and hopefully we'll have someone that we can offer it to. A few minutes after the pantry opened that day, a young mother came in with twins who were about 18 months old. She'd never been to the pantry before and I can never remember seeing her again after that day. But we offered her the special milk and with tears in her eyes, she, she took it. She was extremely grateful and she said, well, with the twins, I'll definitely be able to use it all up before the expiration date. So God had provided once again, the right thing for the right person at the right time. And that's how I see my coming to volunteer at, at the food pantry. It was the right thing for me at the right time. I believe that my wise mentor friend, as she listened to me that day at the coffee shop, she realized that I was stuck. I had recent past life circumstances that I wanted to move beyond, but that I couldn't forget. And I was worried, anxious, and fearful about what the future might hold. What if the cancer comes back? That's a concern of a lot of survivors. My preoccupation with the past and with the future was crowding out the present. I wasn't open or available to hearing from God and what he might have planned for me. My, fr my friend knew that I basically needed to get over myself. She didn't say it exactly like that, maybe get outside of my own head, but she also knew that the best way not to dwell on your own circumstances is to go and help someone else. Helping others helped me gain perspective for my own life. I've often said as I leave the pantry each week that I've received much more than I've given. So the pantry has grown and changed over the years, and as the pandemic hit in early 2020, Grace and Glory Church was determined to keep the pantry open. So adjustments were made, and with some creativity and perseverance and heavy lifting and teamwork and a lot of prayer, we were able to provide food boxes outdoors through the entire period, through hot weather and rain and snow, and we even were sliding food boxes across the icy parking lot when it was too treacherous to even hardly stand up. God saw us through, and we never had to close the pantry. You may know that the pantry recently moved, and that they now use space at New Goshen Presbyterian Church. Some of you even helped make that happen with the St. John Love Local Day of Service. So the pantry is now back indoors, back to its original indoor shopping model in a wonderful new and larger space. So others who have spoken during this sermon series have mentioned how they felt like they received, received a shove or a two-handed shove uh, into mission work. And I see mine as more of a nudge and a pull, a nudge to seek advice and counsel in a season of uncertainty, and a pull from someone who knew just what I needed. So my suggestion to you, if, if you're feeling stuck, or if you're feeling nudged, or shoved, or pulled, is to take time to be present, to be in the moment, and to be open and available to what God might be leading you to next. Thank you. Thank you, Celia. I said it in the 8.30 service, and I'll say it again. We could stop right there. Wow, what a strong testimony. We thank you um, for answering God's call, and his generosity is coming through you and all you do at Bread of Life. And so we thank you. We thank everyone who works at Bread of Life. It's, we got a lot of people that work there, a lot of people that find um, ways to answer God's call, to live, to be generous, to be hospitable. And if you are interested in doing that, you please reach out to me, Celia. We got lots of folks. You talk to anybody, they're going to be able to hook you up. So we want to be sure that you have a place to serve, and we don't want you to feel anything holding you back from that because there's nothing. We'll get you uh, plugged in. But, you know, that, that ministry is one of such generosity and hospitality, and those are 
two of the biggest attributes of God and two of the biggest attributes that Lydia had. You know, we read as soon as Paul shared with her the gospel, she immediately turned the love outward and offered them a place to stay in her house. And I, I love how Luke ended that conversation with Paul. And she prevailed upon us. She prevailed upon us. Now, this Greek word uh, for prevailed, which is biazzo, can mean to strongly urge, to dominate, or even force. And I, I love to interpret this and think about this as, as this way. Have you ever met somebody that's like uber contagious, just the way that they are, their passion, or they just exhume something that just pulls you in? I believe that's how Lydia's generosity and hospitality was. When she offered it, when she went out and served God, and she was just allowing people to come in, people couldn't help but go. They had to go. And not only did they go, but they took that feeling, and they went and they shared it with everyone they met. Not only did Lydia open her house up to Paul and company, but after they left, that's where people came to worship, was in her house. That's where the Church of the Philippians started and where it grew. She opened herself up and her house up so that God could work and operate through her and the people that were around her. She was the first European convert in Christianity. And that's a big deal. She made a big impact. Her ripple went years and years and years. And the, Philipp the Philippian church became one of Paul's favorites. Now, I wonder why. So easy to manage. Now, while I mentioned that women had some rights and privileges in this Greek and Roman society, I do want to mention that that didn't mean women had those rights and privileges in every arena. There are actually some things that Lydia did that would have been huge no-nos in the Jewish custom, which, if we remember, that is where she discovered God and what she was sort of leaning towards going into is Judaism. Now, some of the things that she did, now, first and foremost, she was praying with a bunch of women in the form of a synagogue. That in itself is a huge no. Anytime you went to a synagogue, there were only men there. Only the men were allowed to lead those and pray. Secondly, when Paul and his friends went up and started talking to her, she talked back, which was another big deal. She was a Gentile woman. You couldn't associate with Jewish men. And then lastly, um, she invited them into her house. There wasn't a male host there. She would have been the host. Here's why I mention those things. Because it didn't matter. At the end of the day, the gospel... God's love freed her from the bonds of legalism. Her softened heart, her open heart, was allowed to be open even though the world was telling her she had to be closed off. The gospel freed her, and the gospel frees you too. The gospel frees you from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of this world, and allows you to live into the truth and the love of who God is. So when God is calling you to do something that the world's telling you is radical or crazy or not the right thing to do, don't listen. Do what God is calling you and leading you to do. Don't hold yourself back. And take it from someone who did that for a really long time. It's just not worth it. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your generosity, for your hospitality, for the wonderful things that those attributes give us, that you offer us freely, your love, your grace, your mercy. God, we thank you for those gifts. We pray that we don't allow anything to hold us back from fully living into those gifts, from fully sharing those gifts, from fully stepping out in faith, God, and giving you room to move through us so that your light and your love reflects through us and your glory is experienced and seen. God, we know without Jesus that we wouldn't be able to experience freedom or redemption or healing. We know that we wouldn't even know what generosity feels like if we didn't experience it from you. God, we pray that your spirit will help us be bold, even if that means we got to wear purple to remember it. But God, help us to step out of this place, to live into who you've called us to be, so that we can be your hands and feet in this world that you've called us to be. And we love you and we praise you, and we lift these things to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.